Welcome to Ecclesia tonight. We are glad to have you join us online. Hopefully it's actually working this week as opposed to last week. But um, if you happen to be joining us the first time, we're especially glad to have you here. We look forward to in the near future, hopefully uh, meeting again in person in a safe way um, as ideally the numbers will keep going down and we feel like we can be safe and, and all meet in a building on Sunday nights at five o'clock uh, where we use the space at Parkway Heights. Methodist Church, but uh, we are a non-denominational community. We're a community that's committed to uh, serving our neighborhoods and uh, leaving this world a little better than we found it and following uh, the teachings of Christ together. So if you're looking for a place, know that you are welcome, uh, no matter who you are, where you're coming from, what's going on uh, in your life, you're welcome to be a part of things. So um, we actually, uh, entering into February this year, we're actually doing something a little different than we've ever done before. Um, we're going to make uh, some attempts to um, honor the month of February, Black History Month, and what that means for us as a church and for the faith uh, in, in general. Um, and this, this year has been <laughs> hard in a lot of ways for doing church. There's a lot of, you know, we haven't been able to meet in person. I've been preaching to a computer screen for a year, which is terrible. Um, and so as hard as it has been on some levels, um, it's also been really good for our small groups. It turns out Zoom uh, kind of, it just lends itself towards small group studies. And so we've, we've had these great small groups and book studies that have been going on. And from those groups, we've had a lot of uh, discussions and suggestions that came out uh, from those groups that um, we're taking to heart. And so uh, one of those uh, suggestions and conversations that came out of some of the studies were um, that we at Ecclesia should be more intentional 
in our practice of listening to and highlighting uh, both current and historical voices uh, of our brothers and sisters of color. Um, because it's important to us, because there's much to learn there, uh, and because historically they, uh, they haven't been heard <laughs> to the degree they should have been, right? And uh, we strive as a community, one of our basic kind of ethics and convictions as a community is that we reserve a spot at the table for anybody and everybody, all are welcome. Uh, we believe that God's love is unconditional, that God, uh, that God couldn't love you any more or any less than God does right now. Um, these are all things that we believe and we try to practice, and it only makes sense for us um, to make sure we are listening to the witness um, of all of those who are at the table, uh, particularly those who have not traditionally had a seat of honor uh, at the table in Christian history, right? And so for the month of February, uh, we're going to turn our eyes and ears towards those voices, and uh, you're going to hear their stories, you're going to hear some things that uh, you may have known or may have been unknown to you about the heroes of uh, Black history and the American church history. And we're going to talk about the witness uh, of uh, the members of Black members of our family um, through their experience and history and theology and practice and all those things. So this will be a little different uh, than our normal, here's the lectionary text, here's a talk, see you next week kind of thing. Um, but I think it's going to be good for all of us. I'm excited about it. Um, and before we get into a, a short reflection um, on really the inherent dangers of practicing a faith does not, that does not listen to the entire family, um, I'm grateful that we're going to get to hear for a couple minutes from uh, Sharon, as Sharon uh, takes the time, uh, as she's going to each week in February, takes the time to introduce us to some stories and some voices and some people that we should, uh, that we should be listening to and paying attention to. Um, so I'm going to let Sharon uh, take that, and then we'll be back in a few minutes to um, talk about listening to all the voices in our story. All right, Sharon. Hi, everyone. Sharon here. I am excited to talk to you about Black History Month. Okay, if you've been around me for longer than five minutes, you know that history is my favorite subject, Black history specifically, and Mississippi history on top of that. So let's start here. Knowing the past opens the door to the future. Black History Month was set aside to acknowledge and celebrate the many contributions and achievements of African-Americans in this country. There are so many inspiring stories that can pour into us today. And that's what this month really is all about. But aside from the celebrations, it's also a month that was set aside to make all Americans aware of the struggle for freedom and equality that happened on this soil. So I believe that history teaches character, empathy, and a better understanding of how we got to where we are today. If you are confused about circumstances today, take a look at the past and it will literally show you a window of how we are where we are today. So I'm gonna encourage you to take this month to research a story you may not know. Now in my church tradition growing up, a moment in black history was incorporated into our weekly programming. So you know how at Ecclesia we'll do um, announcements, we'll take prayer requests at my home church, along with those routines, we did a moment in black history and that could be someone from the past, someone from the future, well, not from the future, someone from the past, someone um, in the room or in the community, That's um, that would be 
anyone could be incorporated into that moment in black history. And as I've grown older, I've really learned to appreciate that tradition. So if you haven't put it together, we're having a moment in black history right now. I know. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass is one of the most influential civil rights advocates of the 19th century. What do we know about him? He was born into the system of slavery in the year of 1818. He made a daring escape north as a young man and he wrote three best-selling autobiographies and went on to become one of the nation's most powerful voices against human bondage. And that is how we'll define slavery. So what is his legacy? So the truth is, Frederick Douglass lived the same time as Harriet Tubman, but most of us know a little bit more about the contribution of Harriet Tubman, and it's harder to figure out what the contribution was um, for Frederick Douglass. So this is, this is going to be a brief moment, but I encourage you to dive a little deeper. But I would say that his lasting legacy is that he relentlessly spoke the truth. He never shied away from hard truths, and that's why we know his name today. So with those autobiographies, he would travel... He traveled the United States and even in Europe, and he was able to give a first-hand account on what the system of slavery was like in America. He spoke about families being ripped apart, about physical violence, and truthfully, he was fearless in blasting the hypocrisy of a nation that says liberty and justice for all in a system that enslaved him. So, um... But what I will say about Frederick Douglass is he believed in the ideals of America and he believed that in order for America to thrive, that we have to speak the truth and that the conscience of the nation must be awakened. I'm going to share with you one of the truths that he spoke. This is a quote from him about the 4th of July. What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer a day that reveals to him more than all the other days of the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your national greatness swelling vanity, your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless, your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mark, your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings are to him a mere fraud, a deception and hypocrisy. There is no man beneath the canopy of heaven that does not know that slavery is wrong. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed and its crimes against God and man must be denounced. That's a little truth for you from Frederick Douglass. He also went on to, um, to publish his own newspaper for 16 years. It was called the North Star. And... With that, again, again, it was always about putting the truth out. He also supported Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad that helped people escape north. So in the Civil War, he also had the ear, or before the Civil War, he had the ear of Lincoln and encouraged him, one, to push the Emancipation Proclamation, but also to allow black men to enlist to aid the war itself. So I'm going to conclude this moment in black history by saying that, um, Frederick Douglass, of all the inspiring things that he did in his work, um, the, the fact that he was able to speak truth will always be um, the thing that we should remember about him, that he was fearless in speaking that truth. Uh, and that remains to be uh, probably the most compelling thing about his life. His life should, in return, compel us to do better, compel us to vocalize those truths, even if they're hard. 
and to do our part in the ongoing pursuit of justice. Happy Black History Month. I'll see you guys again soon. All right, thanks, Sharon. Um, all right, before we before we get into uh, the the talk, um, I do want to acknowledge something to you. Um, I can think of uh, very few, probably nobody uh, less qualified to uh, voice the black experience than me. <laughs> so uh, I am fully aware uh, of the irony of me being the one uh, on these recordings in February kind of teaching things. Uh, and I want you to understand that. Uh, I fully realize uh, that all I can all I can do the best I can do is reflect from my own experiences. And uh, I do not pretend to be, to be speaking on behalf of anyone I am not. Um, so, uh, you know, in, in years in the future, I think we're going to go about this a different way, maybe each year. But um, with that said, um, I do want to talk about some of the profound impacts of the theology and witness and practice of uh, the Black tr Christian tradition um, uh, that it has had the impact it's had on me uh, as, a, uh, as a white minister uh, and the impact I think it should have on you. Um, you heard about Frederick Douglass, who um, his story is just incredible. Uh, there's actually a new autobiography, a new biography that came out not so long ago. It's extremely long. Audiobook is really good, but it's extremely long. And um, so much about his life is is fascinating and interesting, and um, his experiences are, are pretty unbelievable. And there's a quote that he has uh, that's from one of his autobiographies. That is one of the most jarring quotes um, I had ever read when I came upon it. And it's one I th you may have heard before. It's, 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 it's relatively famous. But as someone who had experienced slavery and the horrors therein um, and who was practicing the same faith as those who um, had so violently um, oppressed uh, him and his family and uh, his people, um, Frederick Douglass said the, the following when he had uh, kind of been having a conversation about religion. He said this, <clears throat> what I have said respecting and against religion, I mean strictly to apply to the slaveholding religion of this land and with no possible reference to Christianity proper. For between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference, so wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be the friend of one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slaveholding, woman-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. <clears throat> that gets at what might be one of the most jarring and disturbing images 
um, and thoughts for me personally. I mean, what he refers to here is very poignant, right? The image of a person or an entire group of people utterly convinced of their faithfulness, uh, believing it is of God, believing it is of Christ, believing it is pure and holy and all of these things. And although they are utterly convinced of that, they are in fact bringing hell to bear on those around them, right? This sincere faith that is practiced, uh, believed in, and yet destroys and damages the very thing it's supposed to protect and uphold, right? I can see no greater difference, he says. To love one is to hate the other. And it's easy for me as a white guy nowadays to look back at those slave-holding, woman-whooping Christians and kind of wag my finger at their stupidity and their sinfulness and, and uh, how wrong they were and how evil they were without acknowledging uh, that if I had been put in the same position, in the same context at the same time, I could have been just as dangerously wrong. That I too can be that convinced, that sincere, and that wrong about God at the same time. But this reality, this truth that um, we can be both of those things, sincere and completely wrong, sincere and destructive to the thing we're sincere about, the fact that those two things can exist at the same time should be no surprise to anyone who has ever read our Bible, particularly in the New Testament, right? Our New Testament is written largely by someone who is in that very same position. <clears throat> we know that Saul, who later becomes Paul, was a devout practitioner of faith. Saul believed deeply in God. Saul was part of a sect that studied the Torah, memorized large portions of it. Ever since they were little, talked about it, read about it, memorized it, practiced it. He spent hours learning and reading and discussing the traditions and the history of a people who were once enslaved, once oppressed, and then rescued by a loving creator, right? Saul was so intensely serious about this faith that he was very willing to get his hands very dirty to protect it. The first time we see Saul, he's holding the coats of those who are killing Stephen because Stephen was part of this new heretical cult of Judaism that Saul saw as so dangerous. <clears throat> Saul went about hunting down other Christians, arresting them, terrorizing Christians, Saul was entirely sincere and devout and completely wrong. He was both of those things. His sincerity is evidenced by the fact that as soon as he heard God's voice telling him otherwise, as soon as the light comes from heaven and he hears God's voice and he is struck blind and all of this story that we see in Acts, as soon as he heard God tell him otherwise, he turns 180 degrees and just as passionately works against his previous convictions. He is sincere, but he didn't have the whole story. He was devout and he was destructive because he didn't know the whole story. And, and what changed that for him? What did he hear from God that changed him from one to the other? What he heard from God was the words, why do you persecute me? Right? Paul's sincere and destructive faith was redeemed 
with God's full identification with the very people Saul terrorized. Saul learned that God is with the least of these. God was with his enemies, with those that he thought um, he had the right to express, uh, to express power over, and to kill and to arrest and to destroy. God was with those that, Paul, that Saul could so easily dismiss and faithfully mistreat. When God says, why are you attacking me? Why are you persecuting me? When God fully identifies with those people in their story, in their perspective, that is the first time that he hears that and it fundamentally changes him. Saul goes from being the hunter of Christians, the destroyer of the church, to Paul, who writes most of our New Testament and is responsible for helping to spread the church to people he would have never dreamed of interacting with before. Because hearing the whole story matters. And understand that if you look anything like me and you have a history anything like mine, it is much easier to never hear the whole story. It's easy to never hear the whole story, right? Uh, well, I was born in downtown Detroit, uh, but we left before I can remember it. So whatever street cred I should have gotten for living in downtown Detroit in the 70s is gone. Uh, I was on Nine Mile Road, one mile away from Eminem, very different paths that we took. Um, but, you know, uh, so all I can remember is I remember growing up in a neighborhood where all the kids looked like me and all the families looked like us. I went to a church where we all looked the same. I went to a school that was attached to that church. I was in Bible class or church or Sunday school six out of seven days a week my entire life. Um, I, was, I was thoroughly churched, sincerely believed, thoroughly churched by those who sincerely believed. <clears throat> and I don't know that we ever ever talked about the stories or history or theology or witness of our black brothers and sisters never that i can remember i mean even when i was in college and i was in like uh, you know collegiate level theology classes and then i went on to seminary and i was in graduate level classes well the farther along i got i got exposed to some of that but we still almost exclusively talked about the history and theology and practice of white European Western church, right? Which is important and worth studying, but it's definitely not the whole story. I remember the first time I really read about the quote unquote Christian crusades, right? Or reading for the first time about how we evangelized the natives that were on this land before we took it from them or learning about the slave trade and how it was uh, justified uh, by the Christian story and Christian theology, right? And, and once I heard those things, that, that, is a, that is a bell you cannot unring once you've heard it. Because the whole story matters. And when you have not heard the story from the perspective of those who are victimized by it. When you've not seen your theology, your faith, and your practice through the lens of those who are most hurt by it. 
when you don't realize that God identifies clearly and unapologetically with the oppressed in every story, then you run the risk of having a religion that is probably very sincere, but also sincerely wrong and likely destructive to the very thing you think you're protecting and honoring. This is the Christian story. And we'll get into this more in, in the weeks to come. And I'm not going to go long here. I know it's Super Bowl night and all that. But hearing the whole story matters. Saul was attacking the very God he imagined he was honoring. You and I have that same capacity. And we fight that. Uh, that temptation, and we fight that possibility of doing, uh, of causing destruction to that which we are trying to honor and be faithful to by listening to the whole story. It'd be grandiose to think I'm not capable of making the same mistake that the Apostle Paul made. And, and so this month, as, as we do this, I want you to understand. Um, <clears throat> I don't think it's important to listen to our brothers and sisters of color because it's February and it's, you know, progressive and, um, you know, it's the woke thing to do nowadays. Those are honestly not terms that really mean anything uh, in Christian theology. I think it is necessary that we listen to those voices because it is faithful to God. because it is the only faithful way to practice our faith. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, for the next few weeks, um, we're going to listen to those voices. You may be very familiar. They may be old voices to you. They may be the voices in which your entire Christian history is grounded, and that is great. I hope it's a good reminder of the roots of your faith. And this may be the first time you hear some of this. And I hope that you will listen. I hope that you will open yourself up to the other side of the story. But this is what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. I'm really glad you were here tonight. Thank you for joining us. And um, we, uh, we will hope to see you again soon. Peace be with you.